We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Back again, just me and Sam this week. My name is Mike. I'm here, as always, like I said, with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? My name is Sam. Um, I am good. <laughs> it was an interesting week. But uh, yeah, some Suns-related stuff happened, and uh, we're ready to burn some bridges today, I think. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have, coming up later in this podcast, <laughs> we're going to have a unpopular opinions segment we took some unpopular opinions from people on our Twitter account. So thank you to the people that um, 
sent those, and I'm sorry that we're probably going to make fun of you later. Uh, the The point of unpopular opinions ultimately is to say something that not everyone is going to believe, that the majority of people uh, don't believe. I will also put myself out there with an unpopular opinion as well, so I'm going to try and put myself on the line as well on that. Maybe someday we'll get Sam to do it as well. <laughs> I think one of the hard I, parts I is coming have, up with anything. I don't have a super strong one right now, and I think I need to let it marinate a little bit and, and yeah. think about it. But well, I mean, the truth is we do a podcast about the Suns every week. How many of our Suns' opinions aren't already out there? Right, right. <laughs> like most of them are, uh, so it's a little harder to come up with something like that. I mean, but I think like, I have some unpopular... <laughs> okay, so spoilers, I guess, for later on, but... <laughs> You know, I think I could think of some unpopular opinions like that are positive about the Suns um, and are unpopular in the grand scheme of the media landscape. And I'm not even like people who listen to this show know I'm not even a ray of sunshine by any means. I'm not like the most optimistic person out there. Um, but I think I would struggle a little bit more to find just something that is so widely unpopular among Suns fans um, kind of being negative <laughs> about the team a little bit. At least I can't think of one right now, but I'll have to think right. about it. Right. It, it is funny when you, an unpopular opinion that says something positive about the Suns, it's going to be like, people are still going to like it. <laughs> like, how unpopular is it? <laughs> right. Among be? people who actually listen to this show, it's not going to be unpopular. That And that was yeah. kind of one of my main takeaways from reading the replies is like, well, we'll get to it later. doesn't matter for now. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start this episode by talking about something that uh, we've been working on. And I say we, it's mostly been you, Sam. Our YouTube channel, we've been posting free agency videos. They're like free agency evaluation scouting videos, essentially, for some of the bigger name free agents and smaller name free agents. I think actually that some of the smaller name ones are even more interesting because a lot of people don't know a lot about these players. They're pretty long. Like each of them is over 10 minutes so far. And they're a pretty big breakdown of the type of players that uh, these players are. And then I come in, I do a, a short segment about how they would fit on the Suns. So we try and make them as general as possible for any NBA fan. But then we also focus on how they would fit on the Phoenix Suns. Remember, I want to tell everyone watching those, we're going to have extended free agency conversations later where we sort of reveal how we actually feel, what we think is the best idea for free agency and how they fit on the Suns. But uh, Sam, you've been working on them. Who, who have you done so far Who's been posted so far? Yeah, so uh, we didn't get the chance to touch on this last week because we were focusing on the draft, but we've put out four of those videos so far on our YouTube channel. Again, if you haven't gone to it and subscribed before, please do. It's just the timeline of Phoenix Suns channel instead of a Phoenix Suns podcast. Um, we've talked about Christian Wood, Jeremy Grant, Justin Holiday, and now Davis Bertans is the most recent one that we put out today. Um, and I think all of those guys are just names that you're going to hear thrown around in a lot of conversations um, as they relate to the Suns over the past couple months. Names that we've already touched on uh, in the podcast already, Mike, but maybe we just haven't had those extended conversations yet that we will have uh, in a little while. And with the Bertans video today, Bertans is, is the, kind of the first guy who's, um, that we've covered in the series that it was officially linked to the Suns in a rumor this week. It's just a rumor. Um, but yeah, so we're going to keep, we're going to keep putting those videos out. Um, and yeah, I think the idea for now is just kind of to be general, give you an idea of their strengths and weaknesses. If you watch, um, the video, you certainly get a lot of my opinions on, uh, how the, where the player strengths and weaknesses are, but, but maybe 
I'm trying not to reveal my entire hand to this point as to who I actually right. want the Suns to sign. Like, you know, the idea isn't to give you guys a ranking of, of I prefer this guy over that guy over that guy. Right. I think that's going to come um, maybe a few weeks from now in, in an actual podcast episode. So the idea is you can just dive into any of those, any of those and uh, hopefully you take something out of it. Well, yeah, I think this is the nuance to free agency in general. It's not just about the type of player. There's a whole bunch of other questions that have to be answered when you're actually identifying what players can fit on the team. And that, a lot of times, boils down to cap space. Two of the guys, two people, have been tied to the Suns in rumors. I want to remind people, I think it was Jonathan Wasserman, or one of our friends here, that, that said this time of year, the NBA is like the WWE. Every rumor is a lie, but we still love it anyway. Mm. Like we know it's fake, but we still love it. Like that's kind of what this year is. We don't know what's real. We don't know what's fake. There are times that rumors are real, but they end up maybe not feeling as real later. There are times where things happen that were not reported at all. Like, uh, the famous LaMarcus Aldridge meeting with Tyson Chandler. (laughs) That was how the news broke that Tyson Chandler signed with the Suns. He was just walking into a free agency meeting. But two players have been tied to the Suns in these rumors. The first one's Fred Van Vliet. That, that came out first. And the second one was Davis Bertans. I think both of these players are pretty interesting. But I think the main thing to know about these two players is that they're probably going to be two of the higher paid players in this free agency. Not a lot of max guys. Anthony Davis notwithstanding. like He's going to get an obvious max. But I want to remind people, the Suns are projected to have the sixth most cap space. When you just kind of Google teams with the most cap space, that's what comes up. So when you're an agent, right, and you're trying to drum up the the, the salaries for your players, you're probably going to look at all of the teams with the most cap space and the most obvious holes at the positions that these players are in yeah. and leak rumors that yes. they're tied to them. Exactly. And... You know, if you look up those six teams, first I'll say there's I think there's a very good chance that the Suns don't even go into the offseason with cap space in the first place. And that depends entirely on how the bubble run kind of changed the calculus, if it at all changed the calculus of, of James Jones as he thinks about the team building here. And if you want to keep guys like Dario Saric and Javon Carter and your 10th overall pick and all that stuff... Um, then the cap space disappears really quickly and you're no longer in the market for a big, big free agent. Um, even like a Davis Bertans, but certainly not for Fred Van Vliet without like some crazy kind of manipulations of the roster. Um, but even if you do create that level of cap space, and, and let's say, you know, to go with your original point, Mike, the Suns are one of six teams with cap space. Um, those six teams are Phoenix, but they're also Atlanta, uh, the Knicks, Detroit, and Miami, and Charlotte. Sorry, that's the other one. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you just look at those teams and and like agents are thinking about which teams have the momentum right now and almost where Mm -hmm. they want their players to go that are also realistic in the sense that it has to be an organization with some level of cap space. Um, Miami and Phoenix have to be, I would think, the preferred destinations out of those six, except were it not for the fact that New York is such a big market. I guess you throw the Knicks in there just because, even though they're not Mm -hmm. good. Um, Mm -hmm. But but yeah, so I I think we're going to see a lot of stuff like this. There's um, it's going to be a competitive market. Uh, We don't again, we don't know the financial ramifications yet um, and the and the projected revenues and exactly where the salary cap is going to be very important as we're going to keep saying that until we know those details. Um, But but I think we can kind of take a guess already at this point that it's going to be a very competitive free agent market and agents are already maybe trying to leak stuff out there to secure a spot or a higher market value for their guys. 
Yeah, there's a chance that the salary cap is lowered enough that it kind of zaps most of Phoenix's like flexibility. There, that, right. That's an actual but real possibility. It is a hundred percent a real possibility, but it zaps everyone else's flexibility too. Yeah, so it's kind it of ruins a- the market, right? These guys are. This is actually what's kind of interesting is Atlanta can have like close to fifty to sixty million dollars of cap space this coming off season. And they're kind of this this wrench in the in the middle of all of this, in that market prices are going to partially be dictated by whether or not Atlanta is interested in a player because they have the ability of overpaying in a way that a lot of teams don't, and that could mean potentially a lot of one year deals. Like uh, like Atlanta could say we want both Fred VanVleet and Davis Bertans and totally. give them both thirty million dollars for one deal, <laughs> one year deal, and they could potentially do that. So that would be the most ridiculous roster, by the way, because it would yeah. be Trey Young, Fred Van Vliet, <laughs> John Collins, guy, yeah. and Bertans, who played the same position as well. Right. And then just no one else. <laughs> but but yeah, that so that would be ridiculous. But yeah, Atlanta could be a major spoiler this year. I think they're kind of in a similar position to where the Suns have been in the past, um, when the Suns were tanking, yeah. where they kind of just they want to be a little bit more competitive, so they might sign some guys to short term deals. Um, I have a conspiracy theory, <clears throat> I guess, about oh. <laughs> it's just kind of what I consider to be a more nefarious nightmare scenario that I'm a little bit worried about mm. that I don't I hope is not actually the case. But part of okay. me is like, what if it's not the agents who are leaking these reports about Bertans and right. Van Vliet, but it's the yeah. Suns? Right. And my conspiracy theory there is this. The the other kind of report, I, I apologize, I don't remember exactly who this came from this week. I Windhorst. Think it's Windhorst. It sounds to me like common sense. I don't think Windhorst really has any real sources in, inside right. the Phoenix organization. But Windhorst reporting this week that the Suns are interested in cutting costs, which, duh, everyone in the league wants to cut costs. And, and that's why employees are starting to be laid off around the NBA, including inside the Phoenix organization. But mm-hmm. if we take that at face value, my nightmare scenario that I am worried about is a scenario where the Suns leak a report that they're interested in a free agent like Van Vliet or Bertans. They create the necessary cap space to do that, which would, again, involve getting rid of guys like Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, right. Javon Carter, cutting costs with a lot of those bench pieces that maybe some Suns fans wanted to bring back after the bubble run. Um, you create the cap space. You leak a report that you're going to take a swing. Maybe you do take a swing even, but but like a half-hearted swing, like a bunt, you bunt <laughs> at it, never really with the real intention of, of landing one of those guys. Um, and then a couple weeks into free agency or a week into free agency or something, Fred Van Vliet goes, signs his max contract with the Knicks, um, and you backpedal and you pick up like Jordan Clarkson or something, and you're like, hey guys, look, we got, look, Jordan Clarkson, he's, you know, and, and I'm not picking on Jordan Clarkson, I actually like Jordan Clarkson, but like just a name to throw out there, like a middling free agent that you get with that cap space kind of totally waste the potential Mm -hmm. assets at your disposal Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the offseason. And you enter next year with a worse team, but you manage to cut costs in the meantime and pretend that you took a swing at one of the top tier free agents um, as if it was like a LaMarcus Aldridge situation from a few years ago. That's a conspiracy theory, but, but it is a scenario that is in the back of my mind as something I'm worried about kind of seriously. Well, I think that um, that would be horrible, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not completely out of the realm of possibilities, though. I think it's important to remember that the Suns were sort of hedging a lot of bets as far as making money in this coming 2020-2021 season. And by that, I mean they're opening a brand new arena. They were planning on selling season tickets at a higher season ticket price. There's not any guarantee that fans are going to even be able to be in a building 
we're not sure what next season's going to look like so far. Robert Sarver spent a lot of money out of his own pocket to build this practice facility, and part of the funding for the arena renovation was also out of his own pocket. So as far as owners, he's already one of the owners that has the least amount of money. Now, this is all relatively speaking. He's a very rich man. But very rich people don't like losing money. That's a big thing. So I think that that's an important thing to understand, and I think that we have to... Definitely, there's not much we can do. As fans, there's not much we can do, even as people with a podcast. But we won't be afraid to say something about that were that to come to fruition. I can promise listeners of this podcast that uh, Robert Sarver gets no free rides on this podcast, of course. But that could happen. But it's also possible that they're looking at it as... Uh, you know, Devin Booker is here. We have to maximize his time here. And I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in our unpopular opinion <laughs> segment coming up later. But the point is, at some point, you have to try to build a winner. And I think that they were sort of looking at last season already as sort of a culture reset season. And that sort of pointed to the 2020-21 season as a sort of attempt to make the playoffs season now you could argue both of the seasons are that but i think it's more this 2021 season Uh, but let's take these reports at face value and say that the suns are actually interested in these two players and talk about that you mentioned something to clear the cap space to sign either one of these guys now should be said we have no idea what these people are going to make and I think every time we've tried to guess salaries on this podcast, we've been off a little bit, whether that be Trevor Ariza in our third ever episode or whether that be Kelly Oubre when we did a video on Kelly Oubre and we estimated, I think, 16, 17 million, which I guess was close. That was close-ish. It's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what these guys are going to make, but say they make around, I don't know, Davis Bertans maybe lowest 17, 16, think- 17 million. I think... Bertans is like 15 to 17 and I think yeah. Fred is the one you have to like I think these guys 25 maybe these yeah. two guys <laughs> are in clearly different tiers right um, like because because I'll give you an example let's say Bertans is is on the lower end of that range I just estimated and he gets 15 million and Fred gets 25 which is just under a max contract because if you're competing with New York that's mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take is roughly a max contract um, mm-hmm. the difference between 15 and 25 is uh, the amount of Dario Saric's cap hold this year, Sarge's cap hold is ten million dollars that is tied to the Suns' cap sheet that they can choose to relinquish in in favor of more cap space at the beginning. I keep wanting to say summer; it's not summer; it's almost fall. Mm-hmm. But at the begin at the beginning of the off season, when we finally get there, um, that's a big difference between those two guys. I think, but they're both going to cost a lot for sure. Yeah, and it, the difference essentially is that you you could keep players, or you couldn't. If say you're right. going after Fred VanVleet, you're, you're probably going to be uh, dropping Dario Saric, um, Javon Carter, and maybe if you try desperately to keep those players, then you have to trade guys like Ricky Rubio or Kelly Oubre yeah. and take essentially no if, um, salary in return. Right. If the if Van Vliet gets his actual max, we did we did the math like last week when the news first came out, uh, and he gets like twenty six point something million dollars in his mm-hmm. opening season. The Suns can't even create that amount of cap space without trading Kelly Making Oubre. A trade. Yeah, right. that's where a team actually like Atlanta might really come in handy. Like a team exactly. like Atlanta with $50 million in cap space, you wouldn't get anything for Kelly. It would be a TJ Warren trade. They would just absorb his contract into into their cap space. But that might be a beneficial idea for both sides if you actually wanted to pursue Van Fleet. 
Yeah, but it's it's an interesting conversation, right? Because then you're looking at it and saying one guy plays point guard, the other guy plays power forward. We have a few guys that play power forward on this team, and we have one quality uh, starting point guard, which is more than we can say about a, a few of the previous seasons. So the question I think that came up, Davis, I don't think there's been enough time for a lot of Suns fans to sort of process that news yet. But the Fred Van Vliet news, I think a lot of interesting conversation came out of that. Uh, and the main part of that conversation is why would the Suns, for a lot of people, why would the Suns spend so much money on a point guard when they have Ricky Rubio already? And I think you and I ended up on slightly different sides of this debate. No, we are. Debate. We are on different sides. We agree what on do a you lot think? of things, but I am i don't want him. Um, and it's a little bit ironic, actually, because longtime listeners of the podcast might remember the third ever episode that we had um, two years ago when we were doing our, our free agency episode. Um, I wanted Van Vliet. That was the guy I wanted when he originally signed the two-year deal to go back to Toronto. Um, and you argued in favor of Trevor Reza, and we ended up getting Trevor Reza. Um, and now a couple years later, Fred Van Vliet is a much better player than he was two years ago, but I just don't think it works. And it's right. not even necessarily because of the fit, although part of it is because of the fit with Ricky Rubio. That is definitely part of it. Um, it's just a depth thing for me. I think the Suns are in a place where they need to get more decent players and not fewer like we had last year when we only had four or five decent players on the entire team. Um, and if you theoretically add Van Vliet, but you have to, say, give up the 10th pick in, in the process, so you can't even draft someone um, onto the wings, or you have to trade Kelly Oubre for cash, you're getting rid of Dario Saric, uh, Javon Carter, a capable role player. Um, I'm not comfortable making those those types of moves. And it quite possibly leaves you in a situation where Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are the only decent players on the wings. Um, which is a scary place to be. I don't want to fill out the rest of the depth chart with veteran minimum guys um, at those positions. So it's not that Van Vliet's not a great player. He is a great player. I just think that there are, quite honestly, better free agents out there for Phoenix. They may not be um, as sexy as names, but any of the guys I was talking about that we've already covered on our YouTube channel, Christian Wood, Jeremy Grant, Davis Bertans, who we'll talk about in a second, um, any of those guys I think would just be much, much better options for Phoenix in the short term. I, I I totally get that perspective, and I think so much of it is boiled down to what well, Ricky Rubio, like the, the, he did a good job. Yeah, that's true but, too. Yeah, but from like a general philosophical standpoint, basketball-wise, I genuinely think that more shooters with good defense and more wings that can play defense and shoot is better for the team in the long run. Right. And I know that in one of these scenarios, you can trade one of those rings, uh, wings in Kelly Oubre away, and that gets rid of one of them. But Christian Wood, and I know we're going to save some of this conversation for the future, is more of a traditional power forward. Davis Bertans not super mobile as far as forwards go, which is a for problem sure. when you get to places like the playoffs, where guys are more targeted on defense than the regular season. So... In general, what I what I think is Devin Booker with a guy like Fred VanVleet, by the way, who is 26, another situation where it's rare that a young free agent at a position of need, which is the situation with Christian Wood, is available in unrestricted free agency. That's just a rare scenario. Right. It, it requires a guy to be kind of a, a diamond in the rough of some sort who's discovered right. like an undrafted type player second round. That That's the right. only time this happens. Exactly. And and for that to be available at a time where a lot of Suns fans are saying, well, we need to look at the future starting point guard for this team. One of the conversations that we just had about Ricky Rubio is limiting his minutes mm -hmm. and how he's more effective in less minutes. That's something that we 
agreed on in the past. At some point, you have to look at what what is Ricky Rubio's role in the future. Now, I would like the scenario where we can keep Ricky Rubio and have Fred Van Vliet. Now, I do think that so much is made about trading Kelly Oubre, and I think we're going to talk about him a little bit later. And I gen- generally tend to disagree with most of those ideas. But I think a guy like Fred Van Vliet might actually make it worthwhile, whereas a lot of scenarios where people bring it up wouldn't make it worthwhile. And I still think it would be hard to replace him, but I think a long-term fit, Fred Van Vliet next to Devin Booker would be deadly. He is a great, great, great shooter, and he sure. still plays good defense. Sure, he he's a great shooter. He is... Um an anomaly. I mean, there's a reason he went undrafted. He's he's got like a six two wingspan, and he averages two steals per game. He, right. it, I mean, you could say part of it. I think you could say he is protected in a Toronto defense where he's surrounded by the perfect talents around him, and he wouldn't be surrounded by the same guys in Phoenix. But um, given the tools that he has, he is a remarkable player. Um, and what he's been able to accomplish in in the first four seasons of his career is equally remarkable. All that being said, I think there's also an asset conversation that comes into mm-hmm. play because. Like, part of what scares me about pigeonholing yourself into a roster where you kind of stack up too many players of a certain type, or like you focus too much on one strength but leave weaknesses exposed, especially when it comes to your depth chart, is that other teams can sense a certain desperation out of you. And so, like, an example of that is the Suns can't get Fred Van Vliet without trading Kelly Oubre, right? As we just said. Well, here's the thing only six teams are supposed to have cap space. Like I just said, the, the Hawks would be a great partner. Um, But what's to stop the Hawks from saying, hey, we know we're one of only two or three teams that you can realistically go to, Phoenix, um, that could even absorb this guy, who's a decent player to begin with, um, if you want Fred Van Vliet. So we're not going to do it unless you give us a first-round pick. Um, That's not the the be-all, end-all, but that's just where the conversation starts. So like, let's say Atlanta's like, give us a first-round pick, and we have to do it. It would be a TJ Warren trade all over again. We give them a (laughs) first-round pick. Then, okay, great, we've created the cap space. We go out and get Fred Van Vliet. Now we've got three guards. The next nightmare scenario that I'm worried about is three months into the season, we have a repeat of 2015 where Ricky Rubio says, hey, you know what, actually, I don't want to play here anymore. I thought I was going to start. Okay, well, now we have to go out and do the same thing we did with Dragic and Isaiah Thomas and and go out in a situation where we have no leverage and try and trade a guy. And, and maybe, again, they say, hey, we're not taking this guy unless uh, you give us a first-round pick. We know you're desperate. You know, So, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I can envision this scenario yeah. where those sorts of things start to add up, all because the Suns wanted to tie their future to a Van Vliet Booker backcourt. Um, and that doesn't sit quite right with me. I, I understand all of that. But I think, ultimately, it boils down to there are a lot of scenarios where the sort of and we're going to get into this i think more in the future cuz it's going to take a little more research and maybe a little better of a format to explain these but there are scenarios where you can have Fred Vanvliet and keep Ricky Rubio and almost all of those scenarios in my mind the team is better and you know what i mean like if if i just want to boil it down to just that then that's almost enough for me this is a better team it's a better fit and in a lot of ways, if you can get Fred Van Vliet to sign a four-year deal, you have a good backcourt partner next to Devin Booker, uh, basically well into his prime, and that's a nice thing to have, especially as Ricky Rubio starts to crest a little bit. This guy's been playing professionally since he was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's not it's going to take a toll on him. I think we him. find a way to work that phrase into every episode. <laughs> every episode ever. Did you did you know Ricky Rubio has been playing basketball <laughs> since he was 16 years old? I think I think there's always we we find a way to wedge it in. 
I mean, at some point, it's, it's going to matter. You're right. It, it, you're right. It, it will matter. And finding uh, so, a Rubio replacement is important. I, I understand where you're coming from. Well, and the other part is, I mean, I think uh, Sh- Schmidt is in the back of my head now. <laughs> Every time I know talk Schmidt about... is in the back of is in the back of your head. He's in the back of my head too. But can yeah, I, just... I know. <clears throat> he, he's our. It's like our conscience, except like. Yeah. I don't know, in like a not a not a good way. And I'm going to say that I'm glad he did all of this, and I'm glad we went over that research with him. But it's important to know that uh, if we're trying to maximize Devin Booker's time with the Suns, and you want to draft a replacement for Ricky Rubio at some point, there's a good chance that that player will not be effective in any way until Ricky Rubio's contract is up. And even then, you're lucky if he is. It's just there's a, it, this, that's what it says. That's what maybe, maybe <laughs> that's it, what the numbers say. Maybe maybe Eliakovo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it. Maybe Elliot I mean, Kobo could be that guy, you know? It's, hey. well, here's the other the other half of Schmidt's analysis would say that yeah. this is the unfortunate thing about the NBA, is that the Suns have to make difficult decisions. <laughs> yeah. I, I still can't even argue for it, but but there is a serious point in here. The Suns have to make difficult decisions about guys like Elliot Kobo and, and Ty Jerome, who were Ty Jerome, yeah. blatantly bad basketball players this year. But the other half of Schmidt's yeah. uh, analysis from last week, for anyone who didn't listen to last week, this is all related to last week's episode about the draft um, and about players not being good until year four or five, basically. The majority. L- the, majority the, majority. the majority who are taken outside of the top ten. Um, the other half of that analysis would say that if you hold on to them long enough, they have as decent a chance as anyone else of turning out by year four yeah. or five. But and you can't, and usually they're a little less expensive. You just can't always afford to to wait that long with uh, with guys like that. Yeah, and it's it's just it's just an interesting conversation. I think that that it's like we're in this perpetual point guard conversation <laughs> on this podcast, and we'll never be out of it until there's a young guy signed for an extended period of time. And and I just remind people that's hard to find it's hard to come up with a scenario where you can get a young point guard for a long period of time big big fan of fred van vliet personally yeah i mean look he's great don't you kind of want to see the sun score 140 points per game with davis bertans though i mean i uh, there's a scenario where davis is the worst defender that you can add onto this team literally (laughs) i think he for for his price he is for a yeah. free agent who's going to command $15 million a year or more, roughly something, who knows? Davis Bertans is no doubt the worst defender we're talking about. But yes. uh, the Suns, I mean, oh my God. If you haven't, yes. uh, look, sorry. It'd shameless, be insane. Shameless plug. But if you haven't, I think that people have this um, conception that, I mean, I'm not saying that people haven't watched Davis Bertans. Many of them have. But I think people have this idea of a, a 40% three-point shooter is a 40% three-point shooter. And that's just right. that's just not true. Like, they visualize Davis Bertans as a guy in a 6'10 frame. They know he shoots 40% from deep. So they think, oh, like Cam Johnson. The Suns would add another yeah. Cam Johnson. And or I'm Ryan here, Anderson. and I tell you in the video, but I'm also here right now to tell you no. Like, it's not, it's not even <laughs> like that. Like, Cam can move off screens, I think, more than we let him this year. And I hope... We unleash him a little bit in that area yeah. next year. But Davis Bertans is shooting contested 30-foot pull-up bullshit all the time. Like he, he uh, is, In transition. I, yeah. make, I, I make the case in the video that he's the best big man shooter ever, which it's too early to say that now. But two to, if he keeps doing what he just did this year for two to three more years, that will be like the popular opinion two to three years from now. Because what he is doing is ridiculous. He shot 40% mm-hmm. on contested three-pointers, 47% contested. on uncontested. Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 insane. So, like, are there defensive concerns? Absolutely. But, but imagining, you know, having <clears> – <throat> similar to how we talk about the point guard 
conversation where we say, how great would it be to have 48 minutes per game of competent point guard play to get a backup point guard behind Ricky Rubio who gives you that? Um, In this case, we could say, how nice would it be to have 48 minutes per game of stretch for gravity next to Devin Booker, right? Like you wouldn't necessarily want to play Cam Johnson and Bertans at once if maybe the defense doesn't work. But having 48 minutes per game of a guy always next to Devin Booker any minute that he's on the floor who's going to space you out to the three-point line. You can't line. help and off of it's, him. You can never, ever help off him, and that would be so uh, valuable to the offense. Right. Would, I think ju- I think the Suns would be like the instant must-watch league pass team for right. anyone in the NBA, even if they're not like... I mean, the the debate there is like, okay, let's say you sign Bertans to a three- or four-year deal. Can you actually build the team that you want to build to be a true championship contender? Probably not if you lock him into that much money unless Aiton actually takes the strides that you want Aiton to take and and other guys like Mikhail Bridges or maybe Kelly Oubre. But you could retain your depth that you couldn't retain if you went after Van Vliet, um, Mm -hmm. and you would totally be one of the most exciting offenses in the NBA as soon as next season. It would be really cool. Uh, yeah, I made the case that he could that just adding him alone, the Suns could be the top, a top three offense in the NBA just by that because they really could. Yeah, because that's the kind of difference that that level of spacing mates makes. And say yes, you don't play a lot of Cam Johnson and Davis Bertans at the same time, but say you, the Suns are in a scenario where they're down by twelve and it's the fourth quarter and they need to get up as many threes as possible. Imagine a pick and roll with Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> with Devin Booker, Cameron Johnson, and Davis Bertans surrounding it. It's unguardable. It's absolutely unguardable. It's difficult to even... I mean, the best case scenario is a layup by Ricky Rubio practically <laughs> at that point because of how effective these guys are at shooting. But yeah, I think Davis is... He's At this point, I think he's on the verge of about being overrated depending on what he's paid. But that's because of how insane what he did was. And I think you're right. You ha- It has to be seen to believe. I think people need to watch that video and really see the types of shots that he's able to get off. It's its pretty it's unlike, r- it's, remarkable. It's unlike any other big in the NBA. I mean, that's what people are drafting for these days, right? Like, that's what the Grizzlies want Jaron Jackson Jr. to be in a couple of years. That's what the Mavs are hoping Kristaps Porzingis can be um, with it, like, towards the end of his max contract. But I don't even think either of those guys... Neither of those guys are at that level yet. They're not doing what Bertans does. Like they take some difficult shots. Um, I've, but I, truly, never seen anything like it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it really is. And he's got a high, fast release. I mean, can it, run around screens. It, the yeah, pull-up stuff clips. is what surprised me. The pull-up stuff is he he grabs defensive rebounds. He runs right down the court into a pull-up three. He yeah, runs from, around screens from twenty nine like thirty feet. Yeah, he, <laughs> he runs around screens like he's JJ Redick. Uh, it's the things you can do with that offense. It's it's absurd. I also do make the case that uh, I think he's a better playmaker than he gets credit for. Like I think he would fit into a point five system. He definitely likes. He's never seen a shot he doesn't like. <laughs> that's that's kind of what happens when. That's you, what he's there for. Right. He's there. Like he'll pull up from thirty feet when maybe he should have passed the ball. But like if he's shooting forty percent on those shots, okay, just let him do it. I guess. Um, but yeah. I do think he also has like the high IQ. I mean, he played in San Antonio for three years. I think he has the high IQ of a guy who knows how to make a read when he needs to. Um, and so he won't average a ton of assists, but he actually makes some really pretty passes from time to time. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating one. It's just, it's not, I think that it's interesting because if you can keep him right, if you can get him and you can somehow keep, uh, Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson and have a forward rotation of those four guys. That's pretty fascinating because then once you get into the playoffs and, and it really slows down and things become, every possession becomes vital, 
then maybe his minutes go down a little bit, but he's still there and available if you have to make some comeback swings because then you can actually put Kelly Oubre and Mikhail Bridges in because those guys, in a scenario where they're fully focused and 100% locked in, are the type of guys that you want in, in the playoffs. And that's a fascinating scenario. And I think that's like I talked about. Like It's not just about the players. Like You have to talk through the scenarios where is it possible to keep those guys and Davis Bertans. It might be. Maybe you don't have Dario Saric. In that yeah, I think scenario. you'd say you goodbye to don't. Dario Saric, but, but you could make it work. And that's a fascinating one. And I, so that's, that's in a sense, that's why I actually kind of believe that one. And I actually do think James Jones gen, genuinely wants shooters. Like, I do think that's something that he wants. I guess it can be argued who, who's in charge now, thanks to David Nash. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> writing that was, about Jeff Power. Yeah, it was a good article. Or yeah. <laughs> column, I guess you would call it. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, a fascinating two reports. And I think that obviously more of these are going to come out. Uh, if I had to guess, I could see the Suns being tied to Christian Wood. I think Detroit ha- being one of the team that has cap space, and I don't know, they're just in such a fascinating scenario with Blake Griffin. I, I worry about what their Suns are going to be tied to as far as trade rumors, but so far in the free agency rumors, I'm not mad at either of these. I think the Fred Van Vliet one is more complicated, but might have a better return on like long-term investments because of how good he can be next to Devin Booker. But I think both of these players would make the team better. Is there and, and more an versatile. obvious, is there an obvious like older unrestricted free agent who would make you nervous if we were suddenly tied to them? Like Gallo um, would make me nervous. I think Gallo is an interesting one because he's so injury prone. Right. And right. I think, and I also think there's a good chance that he wants like a longer deal here towards the end of his career. And, uh, you know, it's like like Davis is what twenty seven years uh, old. Yeah, right? yeah, he's twenty seven. I mean, he's he's had two ACL tears in the past, but he is two ACL tears. But like, what I mean, yeah, he he I mean, has yes, he's been, athletic, but he has not been injury prone in his four years in the NBA. He hasn't missed a lot of time to his credit. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that is he's not doing a lot of the things that can cause you to tear tear your ACL. Right, for like a lot he of doesn't guys. he doesn't go for a ton of contested rebounds to fight on the glass. He's not playing right. great. He's defense. not trying to dunk on anyone. Exactly. So like he avoids contact and and that I guess he just knows that's how he sustains his career. But in a in a sense you can kind of look at those two guys on sort of a Ryan Anderson scale of a contract becoming less and less valuable at the end of the contract. And I think there's a higher chance of that happening with Gallinari because of his age then it would be with Davis Bertans. So I, I, I pulled up a list just online of uh, some of the older <laughs> unrestricted free agents uh, this summer. And of course, three of the first five names that came up are Goran Dragic, Marcus Morris, and Brandon Knight. So if you want to kick the tires <laughs> on any of old, those old pals. Wow, Brandon available. Knight's out of the league then, right? Yeah. There's no chance anyone signs him. I don't think so. I guess there's like a tiny chance that he goes to like a contender contender in like a Troy Daniels type role right. where you don't play at all unless they're getting killed. Dragic uh, would be nice, but I don't think there's a chance he's interested in a third stint. He would low-key be like kind of the perfect third guard. You keep I, Rubio. I and totally agree. Back. I mean, he, he was I, yeah. very steadying for Miami in round one. Yeah, and he actually has been relatively healthy. Like, he's older now. Uh, you know, he's in his 30s, and he's been relatively healthy. It's not a guy who's missing a ton of time, not playing as much as he did when he was younger. Uh, but, yeah, that would be a good that would be a good fit. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the future. Any other thoughts on these uh, free agency guys? No, I think we've covered it enough for this week. 
All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with some unpopular opinions in what may be our most unpopular <laughs> segment that we've ever recorded. Leave your one-star reviews now. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and use the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back with the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, so here's the truth about our unpopular opin- opinion segment. I had an opinion, a take, if you will, that I wanted to talk about at some point in this off season, and uh, I just texted it to Sam, and Sam said, "Well, that'll probably be pretty unpopular." And I said, "Okay, cool. Let's do an unpopular <laughs> opinion segment so that I could make." People hate other people more than they would hate me for my unpopular well, and, opinion. And, and for me, it wasn't like I mean that's that's definitely part of the reason we're doing this because you wanted to get off your hot take. But you know, you get bored of mailbag episodes after a while, and so this was a way to involve people in the community as well. We're going to take some of your hot takes that we saw on Twitter. Yeah, um, and and it's always fun in in the crazy society that we live in these days to just kind of take a look at the most unhinged members of any community. So that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> Today. Well, I also think it's important to just sort of preface this, and I feel like we do this every off season, and we have to. There are things that we discuss in the off season that are purely hypothetical and have nothing to do with how we feel about things in the long term or in the long run. You have to understand how much content we have to fill in a year <laughs> when there's no Suns basketball. It's it's just it's going to happen. The hypotheticals yeah. are going to happen. They're just hypotheticals, so don't try to hold them against us. And actually, if you do, that's fine, but you're being silly if you do. That's the real truth of it. So I'll break down mine. I didn't I didn't make you come up with one. I you don't have any skin in the game. Yeah, come after we him. We talked about it at the beginning. You're that's going fine. After, you're going after him this time. You're not <laughs> coming here's after the thing. me. At some point in the future, we're going to do this again because you're going to have a hot, you're going to have a yes, hot take, an unpopular yes, I opinion I here. I, okay, I'm going to explain mine. <laughs> the goal of any NBA team is to build a team that's contending for a title. You know that it's going to go a lot of different ways when that's how I start it. The most important <laughs> thing for a team attempting to win a title throughout history of the NBA 
especially in the modern NBA, is an offensive superstar that's in their prime. Like generally every NBA team that wins a title has some sort of offensive superstar. Uh, Each of those superstars has what a lot of people refer to in the media as a title window. And those title windows are generally considered the player's primes, which are usually to a lot of people in the player's mid to late 20s. And a general manager's job in general is to maximize a player's title window. NBA teams usually do that like 26, 27 years old. And a lot of times if they're like offensive superstars, like 30 or 31, then they start like leveraging a lot of assets to try and maximize that short, short window because it's about to close, Uh, which is fine, right? That makes sense because that's usually when a player's prime happens. But I tend to think that a player's title window starts earlier than a lot of general managers do. In the 2010-2011 season, Kevin Durant started the season at 22 years old. He ended the season averaging 27 points on 58% true shooting. So that's 22-year-old Kevin Durant. In the 2019-2020 season, Devin Booker started the season at 22 years old. He ended the season averaging 26 points on 61% true shooting. So more efficient than Durant on one point less basically per game. He also averaged like twice as many assists as Kevin Durant for that season. I think it's important to to note because that offseason, the OKC Thunder, they basically did nothing. They had a young offensive superstar in Kevin Durant. They had young talent in Russell Westbrook. They had young talent in James Harden. I don't think they fully knew what they had in James Harden, even (laughs) until they traded him probably in a lot of scenarios. By the way, Sam, thank you for letting me ISO for so long here. Of course. Keep going. OKC didn't do much in that offseason. They focused on keeping their young guys together, which is fine because it led to sustained greatness over time. But what they didn't realize is that next season, OKC made the finals with a 23-year-old Kevin Durant as their best player. Russell Westbrook, essentially the same age. They actually went to the finals. OKC didn't treat that team like their title window was already open with Kevin Durant at 23 years old. But it was. That's important to point out. I tend to believe title windows start earlier than GMs believe. When you have a superstar at 23 or 24 years old, that's when it begins, not 26 or 27. By then, they should have like a few shots at it. Like You should try to treat them as a potential best player on a title team when they're young enough to actually do it because in a lot of cases, they can. Devin Booker's 23 now and would be 23 at the start at the 2020-2021 season. We don't know when it's going to start. He's going to be 24 when that season starts, maybe in March, maybe in January. We don't really know. I think he has a legitimate shot at being one of the best offensive players in the NBA next season. That's not my unpopular opinion. I think every Suns fan is already jerking no, off to what I'm saying right now. That's just jerking off Suns fans, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's not. Now, I want to say, do I think the Suns can win a title next season? No, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that. That's not what I'm saying. I think that would be insane. But I do believe that the title window, in quotes, might be kind of open for Devin Booker. And I want to be careful because there's nuance. Like, James Jones needs to treat Devin Booker's title window as cracked. It's it's open a little bit. Uh, here's, Here's one way to look at it. If Devin Booker was on this year's Raptors team, Toronto Raptors team, would they be considered a legitimate title threat? Just just that alone, say he replaced Kawhi Leonard? I think they probably would be. Yeah... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they'd be bet they'd be better than yeah. they are, and they're I mean, they already would, they would like be a, better than they are, and I guess they're already a con- a contender. But but they've sort of outperformed expectations. But 
but you're right. They would be they yeah. would be considered a contender. Right. I look, I said a lot. What does it mean? I think that's the important thing to get to. A large part of me feels like this team should no longer be building at the pace that they're currently building at. And that every and what asset, does that mean, Mike? That every asset needs to potentially be on the table to try and build a winning type of team around Devin Booker. Let's say Devin Booker. This is a realistic thing. Devin Booker averages 28 points on 63% true shooting next season. Do you have any guess how many players have done that? Uh, like at any age? At, at any age. I'm going to guess uh, <clears throat> like two? Four. Okay, all right. Can I guess the four? You can. Michael Jordan? No. No, okay. The, probably no older players. Let, uh, let's see. Probably there's, Ste- there's two older players. Steph Curry two, two, in his 30-point-per-game yes. season? Okay. Correct. James Harden did it once? No. Fuck. KD? KD, yes. Okay, so Curry and KD. You said there's two older players? Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. This is in the last, by the way, 15 years. In the last 15 years. Oh, this is the last 15 years. Okay, because no, I was about to get... I'm sorry. I'm also lying here. What? The other two are Charles Barkley and Adrian Dantley. <laughs> okay. Charles right. Barkley and Adrian. So three champions and Charles Barkley. Yeah, sure. So Devin Booker could do something next season. He has a legitimate chance of doing something next season that Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Charles Barkley, and Adrian Dantley have done. That means that you have a potential offensive superstar on your team. And it's important to consider how well, good we, of we a know, player that Devin Booker have, is. We know we have an offensive superstar, but I think you're making the point like an MVP level superstar. Yes. Yeah. We have the potential to have the type of guy that you want to build a really, really good playoff team around as early as next season. I think a lot of Suns fans look at it and say, man, when Devin Booker's 26, when Devin Booker's 27, good God, look out. He's going to be leading a team to... Well, maybe maybe it's 24. Maybe it's not 26 or 27. And that's a point I'm trying to make. And that means every asset needs to be on the table. Let's just say Aiton, Ubre, Ricky Rubio, Cam Johnson, everyone. But I think what's important is what can be debated is how best to build a good team around Devin Booker. I'm going to throw names out there just as potential players that could be available. Bradley Beal, obviously. Drew Holiday, potentially. Ben Simmons, maybe. Joel Embiid, maybe. Jamal Murray. I know that now is not a good time to bring that up because he's killing it in the playoffs, but there were rumors already that Jamal Murray could be available. Any type of guy like that next to Devin Booker is a like a definitive playoff team and a potential contender at some point in their careers. Yes. It's a huge gamble to make a sacrifice for a player <laughs> like that. Well, you'd be... Sorry, keep going. Well, you'd be sacrificing potential future assets for players that could potentially win now. The Pelicans gave up a lot for DeMarcus Cousins. Like, that's the best example. And they did that partially because they were worried about Anthony Davis not wanting to stay. Which, in their defense, he didn't. (laughs) I mean, that could be Devin Booker when he's 26, very easily, a couple years from now. But but to be clear, so, well, are you getting to it, or? Here's the hot take. Okay. Okay. The hot take. Here's the unpopular opinion. If I were the general manager of the Phoenix Suns, I would shop DeAndre Ayton to build around Devin Booker right now. For a few reasons. I think the value of a big man in the NBA... Angry! (laughs) Just made people angry at home, Mike. I can smell the the one-star reviews coming in. (laughs) The value of a big man in the NBA is reducing year over year. The more you watch the playoffs... The more that you see that it's dominated by wing stars and big men have mostly been relegated to a role player role. Maxing a big man is essentially a death knell for a GM. Uh, At some point, there it is. At some point, 
There they it will is. either be too slow to keep up with the team going small or not versatile enough offensively to make it worthwhile. If I think about a championship team for Devin Booker, it's tough for me to think. Here's the real point. At some point in the near future, you're going to be looking down the barrel of a big man with an expiring rookie deal, and you can either trade him with very little time left on his contract, meaning you're not maximizing his value as a trade asset, or you're risking overpaying a player not built for the playoffs today. Now, having said all that, DeAndre Ayton could be that type of player that actually does become a potential playoff threat. I just don't, I don't fully see it yet. And I think if he ends up not being that player, right now is the max of his value and it's going to go down after that. Well, so I was going to say, the interesting thing here to me don't don't come after me, people. I'm not agreeing with him. <laughs> but the interesting thing to me is it's very clear to me that Schmidt is in your ear. Because what were we talking <laughs> about last week? Is we were saying if you were gonna trade DeAndre Aiden or Mikhail Bridges, would you can sell other GMs on? And truthfully, this is the same thing you can sell fans on right now. It's the mystery box, it's the potential. And a year from now, when Aiden is yeah. uh, in line for his first extension, he will be more solidified along a path where there is less mystery about him. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a very good case that the mystery about DeAndre Ayton and what he potentially could be uh, is the most intriguing thing about him. My question for you, Mike, would mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. and this is a bit of a depressing question, <laughs> <laughs> but if DeAndre Ayton is two years into his career and you want to blow up this core under the premise that the Suns won't win a championship with him as their second best player because you can't, you, you don't think, you don't want to be positioned with building your team around him and giving him a max contract a couple years from now, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going after these top tier players, these all NBA level or at least all star level players to pair around Devin Booker. And what you have to give those teams in return is something to right. sell the future of their franchise on. Why would they be any more likely to tie their future to a big man? Um, and give that big man a maximum contract if you what you're saying is true, which is that the value of the center in the NBA has depreciated to the point um, where it's not even worth it, right? Like, how do you, let's say Brad Beal is available. Mm-hmm. How do you sell Washington on, okay, your guy's future now is DeAndre Ayton, if you're not <laughs> even willing to believe in year two that the Suns, that the Suns future should be DeAndre Ayton? Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. I do. I do understand that. But I do think that there's a scenario. Here's the thing. I don't saying this does not mean that I believe that Deandre Ayton won't be a valuable player uh, in the NBA. I, I do tend to think that I think there is like a large set of like variable options on what he becomes. And I think the lower end of that is not a guarantee to be like a championship type player. I think the important part of what I was talking about was maximizing your time with Devin Booker's potential championship window. Okay. And I use the championship window in quotes, right? I'm talking about him potentially being the best possible player on a playoff team that could potentially be a contender in the future. Now, the other flawed premise to me is, are we so sure? I agree with you that Devin Booker, he's an amazing offensive superstar. And of the the four other guys that you listed, he could be in that group offensively but the other thing that clearly stood out to me is that he's the worst defensive player of those five by far um are we so sure that devin booker has earned the respect to this point like that he deserves that respect from his gm 
that it should be so clear that he is the number one option on this team forever and ever and that they shouldn't, you know, explore the possibility of it. Because to me, it's, it's, I think DeAndre Ayton's performance floundered a little bit in the bubble. I think that's true. And we, I came away a little bit disappointed. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he made so much improvement from year one to year two that just a right. couple of months ago I was saying, and I still do believe, um, that there is an entirely a situation two years from now where I think DeAndre Ayton could be a more impactful player than Devin Booker. Because I don't think Ayton's ever going to be a better offensive player than Booker. I think that's almost impossible. Um, he would have to completely change his personality and the way he plays. Um, but I think the sum of his parts, uh, now that he's starting to put the defense together, I think there is a reality where he's a more valuable player than Booker, even if Booker is a 30-point-per-game score at 62% true shooting. So are we so sure that we're locked into Booker? Like, you know, does right. Booker yeah. does Booker deserve the same respect that Kevin Durant got at 22 years old when Durant was next in line to LeBron James? Like, Durant was considered the next LeBron for those couple of years. Right. And no, no, I don't think you are. But I think that's the type of calculation that you have to uh, make as a, as a general manager. And I actually, I guess I'm not necessarily not sure on that. <laughs> because I think that uh, often you and I have talked about what Devin Booker has accomplished on a team that had five head coaches and terrible player development over an extended period of time. And part of me wonders what he's really capable of if he were surrounded by even just one other like superstar or star player uh, being on that team, what happens then when gravity is being pulled two different directions, how much space and how much uh, are they capable of accomplishing as far as uh, complementing each other? So I guess I'm not entirely sure that James Jones or Jeff Bauer or even Robert Sarver doesn't necessarily think that because it's possible that they do. And here's the real truth. I'm not, I'm not fully thinking that Aiton has to be traded. That's not that's not it. But I do think that you have to look at what could potentially be available for DeAndre in, in this offseason just to see. I think that's the main thing. You look at what could be there because if you could put another superstar-esque player or star-ish player next to Devin Booker that is going to perform right now, then I think you're maximizing his time as one of the best offensive players in the NBA, much better than uh, what you could be. And look, DeAndre Ayton may take another leap next season and be excellent, and that would be great. And if you don't trade him especially, that would be great. But I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of Thunder fans that look back on <laughs> Kevin Durant's time with Golden State, I'm sorry, with uh, OKC, and think maybe they should have done a little bit more. And I think there's a risk with Devin Booker that you're going to do the same thing as Suns fans. Yeah. And maybe yeah. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. And I don't believe this strongly. Like it's not something I think strongly. There's, there's not a right or wrong right now because we don't know DeAndre Ayton's future. Right. It's just, you take the calc, you trust your gut and you take the calculated risk and you see 10 years from now where his, uh, where his career ends up. Let's uh let's read some other unpopular opinions so people can <laughs> to get take mad the heat at off other people. Yeah, instead- <laughs> let's, let's do it <laughs> instead of me. And I think we I think we've got a wide array of uh, of stuff here. So it's some positive stuff. It's some negative stuff too. Yes, Ra- let's start with this one. Raymond on Twitter, uh, West Boise Roisey. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said his. I've never at, said his ad before. That's actually yeah. funny. Uh, Kelly Oubre is wildly overrated by Suns fans because they like his personality and style of play. He's an average player. I want to remind people, by the way, these are meant to be unpopular opinions. So, Do not fight with these people on the but, internet. Can I just say what's funny about this one is so, so we didn't, um, Roy said 
Kelly Oubre, th- these are two of the tweets. We posted a tweet, a parent tweet, and then the replies to it. These are two different tweets that got among the most likes of any response. This one is Roy's, which says, Kelly Oubre is wildly overrated by Suns fans because they like his personality and style of play. He's an average player. Another one from Brandino says, Keeping Kelly is essential to our future success. <laughs> his impact isn't quantified by his numbers, though they are good. He's a vibe under no circumstances do you trade him. Those are two contrasting opinions here, and both people believe that they have the unpopular opinion, which is what I think is so interesting right. about the community, is that there are these issues that are probably 50-50 that doesn't right. necessarily mean either side is unpopular, even even though you may be under under that. I I actually do think that most people fall somewhere in between those two, though, (laughs) in that they think Kelly Oubre is good, but maybe he's not worth like he's not absolutely 100 percent essential. Uh, Scott Howard also replied to Raymond and said, I was going to say if Kelly Oubre was a six (laughs) who didn't didn't come up with a fun local marketing slogan, nobody would care if he played here next year. I think that's hilarious. I think Scott is generally hilarious. But but why is that funny? Dario Saric and Kelly Oubre Jr. had the same. <laughs> what? I'm not. I'm not saying Dario Saric. <laughs> it's already funny. I'm sorry. It's already funny. Dario Saric and look, Dar- Dario Saric has his talents, but he's he yeah. might be more of a six than a ten. Um, but but beyond that, Dario Saric and Kelly Oubre Jr. had the same value of a replacement player this year. Right. Sorry, advanced stats. But right. they had the exact same team. the exact same value this year yeah. as players. And think about the difference in discourse between how we think about them. Dario kind of saved himself by by his good play in the bubble. And now some Suns fans are like, oh, we want to bring him back as a sixth man for $8 million a year. Meanwhile, Kelly's probably looking at 15 to 20 next year on the free agent market. Um, if you just look at the advanced stats, the difference, the discrepancy between those two players doesn't really make sense. So there has to be another reason for it. And I think with Phoenix, a lot of the reason is... As Brandino says, the vibe, <laughs> the uh, the push-ups, the you know the culture, um, right. but is any of that actually valid? <laughs> is any of that actually a valid reason to keep him off the trade market if you if it prevents you from becoming a better team? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation because I, my whole thing is Kelly Oubre scored 19 points a game this year. That's something that very few players in the NBA think about, have done. Th- I'm sorry to cut you off, but. TJ Warren scored 19 points per game in the NBA last year. I'm not drawing a direct comparison to the two because they're different players, but think about how Suns fans talk about TJ Warren now. Yeah. Yes. So what I did is I wanted to take a look at this. I wanted to take a look at players in the NBA in the last, like this is my last 15 years stat. This is where I was getting confused earlier. In the last 15 years, players in the NBA who have scored 19 points per game, but have a value over replacement of less than one because Kelly Ubers is like point. 0.7, 0.7, about the same, like you said, as Dara Sharich's. Um, but have a usage rate under 25%. This is where I, what I find interesting about Kelly Oubre. He's scoring 19 points per game. He has a low value over replacement, but he has a low usage rate as well. So that means that he's maximizing his usage in, in his scoring. Players that have had under 25% usage rate, but still scored over 19 points per game, uh, TJ Warren in 17-18, Ryan Anderson in 14-15, and Jamal Crawford in 08-09. Those are the only players that had value over replacement less than one. I know this is complicated advanced stat stuff, but sorry, but this is the best way to do it. If you take away the usage rate of under 25%, and you look at players that have averaged over 19 points per game, but still had a VORP of less than one, 
that's when you get a lot more players in the last 15 years, 26 players. And that's when you start seeing names like Michael Beasley, Julius Randle, Monte Ellis. These are all people that had higher usage than Kelly Oubre. But I think what's important about the difference between Kelly and those players is he's not using a whole bunch of our possessions to get this. And I think that's really important to say. I think when people think about Kelly Oubre as overrated, they're actually picturing guys like Julius Randle. But Julius Randle does that over and over and over and over and over again in games. Whereas Kelly Oubre maximizes transition points and yes, still does attack the basket a few times. But to me, I think the conversation about Kelly Oubre has gotten to a point where people have to be like, it's almost like politics. It's gotten to the point where people have to be really far on one side or really far on the other. And there's no nuance to it. He's still a 26 year old wing. And if you're watching the playoffs right now, he seems like a guy that you would want on your team when you're in the playoffs. Am I right? Or am I wrong? No, you're right. It's just a price point conversation for me. Kelly's a high level finisher. I think definitely he has, he has a place on a playoff team. I think some of the comments talked about how sort of the 35% three-point percentage as a dividing line between what could make him valuable and what can make him not valuable. I completely disagree with that. I think 35% is fine. Where he shot this year is fine. What's important for KO, where he's at now, is being better defensively, more focused on a night-to-night basis, more consistent in his defense. Yeah, that's actually interesting because you talked about the offense. I think if there's anywhere where Kelly's overrated it's his defense it's not his offense absolutely Um, there's there's a big gap between i think there's as much of a gap between kelly and mikhail as there is between cam and kelly well there might there might there's probably more i mean honestly probably cam johnson has progressed his defense to the point in the bubble where he's not too far behind kelly now right i don't think yeah that's an interesting thing he plays the passing lanes he gets to i'm talking about kelly plays the passing lanes he gets deflections he injects energy um but yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's an impact defender to the level that Suns fans might believe he is. And not not with his team defense, not with his rotations. Right. That's the important part. Where Cam Johnson brings value as a defensive player is team defense. I think Kelly Oubre is as far as one-on-one defense is better because he's like stronger and more athletic and that makes him better. But uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about Kelly Oubre and I thought those two unpopular opinions were an interesting way of sort of identifying how fans currently feel about him for whatever reason uh next one cody hunt one of our friends here igor kakashkov used deandre ayton in the right way for his development if ayton was used his rookie year the way most people on twitter wanted da wouldn't have made as big which, of defensive which was as he has give him 30 post-ups a game uh was i think the way <laughs> that a lot of people talked about it is just like they just wanted hook shot after hook shot which just yeah isn't i don't the way know how it's played anymore i like i could never visualize that argument exactly you know no. so like feed deandre and more sure but like but like how you know he yeah we kept dribble. talking about that over and over and over again on he, this he doesn't dribble so he doesn't dribble, want, yeah he just has to sit stand there in the high post and you give yeah. him a post touch which we know is not good offense in the nba in 2020 so it's I like just wanted one three-point attempt a game. That's what I wanted. Just one. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with Cody here. Um, yeah. I Igor think Igor so was right. I, I, I have to give a lot of credit to Igor because if you go back and you look at his introductory press conference when he was announced as the head coach of the Suns and he, he was asked about what he wanted to do with DeAndre Ayton, maybe it wasn't his introductory 
press conference. I don't remember. It was, but it was very early on in his tenure before the season had started. And he was asked what his expectations were for DeAndre Ayton. And he said, I think DeAndre Ayton can be a defensive player of the year type player. That yeah, was instantly absolutely. what he focused in on. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so even, even though a lot of that improvement didn't tangibly come until year two, I do think he set the foundation. And I think he, Igor deserves a lot of the credit for that. And, and beyond that, I thought it was interesting. Cody posted a poll to his own Twitter after this, which uh, was inspired, I think, by this hot take, where he asked Suns fans, how many games do they think, and you can think of, about your own answer at home, but how many games do you think the Suns would have won if Igor Kokoshkov was the coach this year instead of Monty Williams? The Suns went 34-39 and 39 this year under Monty. And in that poll, 61% of people said that the Suns would have won six games less uh, under Igor or even more than that. So in other words, 61% of the of people in the poll thought that we would have gone at best 28 and 45 this year uh, with Igor Kokoshkov, even after adding Dario Saric and Ricky Rubio and DeAndre and getting another year of development, which is uh, on pace for a 31-win season. I calculated it, and I just think that's a little bit disrespectful. Like it's, int- I understand that that there was momentum building towards Monty being a Coach of the Year type candidate at the end with the bubble and everything, but right. I don't think it made that much of a difference. I, I think I think a lot of Igor's issues were personnel based, um, and you put if, if he if he had this team, I don't think he's the motivator at all that Monty is. But yeah. I don't think he's leading this team to a 30-win season um, over an 82-game pace. I think I think he could do considerably better than that. I think that's really difficult to say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Um, yeah, and I think Igor did a great job. And I, I honestly, I don't know that this is an insanely unpopular opinion with our listener base. <laughs> I think there are people who are or who don't tend to not agree with that, but I don't know that it's our fans here. Uh, here's another one by Yeezy at John Yeeha. People should settle down about the bubble eight no run. <laughs> I like this, this one. Gr- this group isn't good enough for a real playoff run. Sample size matters. I think this one sample sparked- size matters. Math matters. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> stop being ex- this guy basically just said stop being excited about things. But <laughs> but he's right though. Right? But he's right. That's and that, that was the second part of my statement. Is he's right? You know. So you go back to the bubble. I had to retrace our steps. And look at each box score and look at exactly who played, because I already forgot. It is a fact that the Suns took on, they won the first couple of games legit, fair and square. And, and to be fair, we were missing Kelly Oubre, we were missing Aaron Baines. But after that, we played Indiana, they were missing Sabonis. We played Miami, they were missing Jimmy Butler and Dragic. OKC was missing Steven Adams, Schroeder and Gallo. Philly was missing, it like kept compounding upon itself. Like each yeah. subsequent game, there were more key players that were missing. Um, so Philly was missing Embiid, Simmons, Horford, Harris, and Josh Richardson. That was the crazy one. Um, and then by the end, Dallas was missing Porzingis, and Luca only played 13 minutes. So yeah, we went 8 0, and it, like it was awesome, and we almost made the playoffs. But like we should not, if that was the level of competition that we were playing where there were that many key players missing, we should avoid getting ahead of ourselves. I do agree with that take. Yeah. I, and, and I think we tend to um, agree with that in general on this podcast because we talked about it in the last two episodes that we had. Um, yeah, uh, as far as team building goes, I think that's the important thing. And I think James Jones agrees. If James Jones is to be believed, and in general, the things he said uh, are usually not misleading in any way, the things he says, and uh, he tends to agree with that. Um, this next one, Aitens. This is from Kyle McDonald at Kyle McGriddle. <laughs> Aiton growth this season on both sides of the ball was encouraging, but ultimately I think he is the third best player on a good team. The D-Book DA duo with complementary pieces is insufficient for sustained playoff success. 
Uh, goal should be to find a 1B to books 1A. This is kind of you, mine. I was saying, you only put this one in so that there was someone backing you up. Like, you just wanted <laughs> there some were evidence. A few. Uh, there were a few uh, things that were uh, similar to this. And I, I'm not necessarily saying that I even uh, agree with this in general. I think it's more about trying to maximize Devin Booker's peak, well, which I think can start next year. So the problem, of of course, with this premise is that we're going to answer these questions, but then they can't respond to us. Uh, right. My question, and I have like though, half an hour to break mine down. <laughs> right. My <laughs> my question to Kyle would just be like, more more good players always helps. It would be great to find a one B who's because I agree yeah. actually with part of his premise. DeAndre Ayton is not necessarily that one B, but how? Like like where are you going to find that guy without tra- trading DeAndre Ayton? You know, are you getting it out of uh, Mikhail Bridges' trade? Is it coming yeah. from Kelly Oubre in the tenth pick? Yeah. Um, yeah, in a I sense, maybe we've gotten there. maybe we've gotten to the root of why Kelly Oubre is overrated by some Suns fans because they're hoping for that out of him. <laughs> right, um, they're trying to pump him up artificially. That's yeah, possible. And you know, he's a 19-point scorer. A lot of fans look at that first, right? That's the first stat they look at. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know that we have to discuss that one any further. Uh, Rising Suns, Rising Suns 1 on Twitter said, not 100% comfortable with the Bridges Johnson. This is, I think is a good one with Bridges slash Johnson as the starting wings long-term, uh, would love Johnson to be big minutes at sixth man and move Bridges up to the four once he's stronger. And for now go after a stud, he says. And I think he's referring to like some of the guys that we've talked about, Christian Wood, Davis Bertans, um, one of these guys, one of these power forwards that we've talked about, Jeremy Grant, maybe. Uh, I think that there's some semblance of truth to this, and you could even put Bridges and Ubre into that, where we've seen them look really good, but the question of long-term sustained success for small ball lineups is a legitimate question sort of across the NBA uh, in general. And uh, there are teams that it may not be successful up against, and and a lot of a lot of times you look at potential injuries at, when you're you're playing up in size like this. So, what do you think about this one? Um, well, why am I losing my train of thought here? Um, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, no, I agree. I I think if the if the Suns go in with uh, Cam Johnson as a second year, well, okay, let's let's run it back a little bit. If we're talking about Devin Booker's title window opening next year and Cam Johnson is your starting power forward, I just don't think that that makes too much sense. Um, right. Yeah, no, I think I think there's a good argument where it, it, it doesn't even have to be like getting Bertans or Wood or whatever. Like if the Suns just keep Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre should be starting power forward at least next season over over Cam Johnson, certainly. Yeah, I still tend to think that, and I think that's okay. I, I think you still could get a pretty significant amount of minutes out of Cam Johnson. We've talked about it. These guys that are threes are playing three and four. That opens up a lot of minutes for them. Uh, Suns fans, this is from at NBA is best for, which is NBA discussion is his name on Twitter. Suns fans are way too confident about Cameron Payne, and it's best to move on from Dario. Okay, hmm. but... Well, again, he can't answer for himself, but it's like, who who are you seeing that is too confident about Cameron Payne? I feel like, you know, I feel like I haven't seen that, that yeah, part no. of the equation. I haven't seen it. It's possible I, mean, like, I muted those people, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like I like campaign, uh, but, but I guess that just, that just goes back to the question we answered earlier. Not the question, the, the take we addressed earlier about not getting too excited about the bubble run campaign is, is 
reason number one for that. Uh, you know, <laughs> go in with level expectations next year. Right. And then right. it's best to move on from Dario. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that this take is not like Dario sucks. I hate him and he should die. But more so, like, I want to create maximum cap space. And to do that, we can't have Dario Saric, and I want to pursue other targets, which I think is very reasonable. It all depends. A lot of these takes, here's the thing about a lot of these takes. A lot of times it's not actually about what you say. It's just about how you say it. And depending on how you alter your tone, (laughs) it's really true. It's And it applies to our podcast as well. It's just, you know, sometimes some people need more hand-holding than others. And it just depends on the tone. And some people are more accepting yeah. of, 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 yeah. If I was on ESPN's first take, for example, and saying the exact same thing I said for my unpopular opinion, it would have been about 30 seconds long and it would have started with, the Suns need to trade DeAndre Ayton. You know, yeah. me shouting that instead. And uh, that would have probably garnered a lot bigger of a reaction, which is their goal. But yeah, I think you're totally right about that. But I, I do think it's interesting, I think... Like Dar- maybe moving on from Dario Saric to try and go after a bigger name guy like that is something that Suns fans are sort of like a lot of Suns fans aren't willing to do that because they're so worried about depth and maybe depth is a little easier to find than some of these bigger name guys who have like these potential massive impacts for the starting lineup. Uh, so I, I I don't necessarily agree agree with that one but i don't necessarily disagree either and i think that's where the nuance comes in and that's why it's hard to have these guys sort of not represent themselves this guy on twitter his name is mbappe for mvp at Hi underscore 19 i think uh deandre Ayton will be the best center of his generation there we go there's some yeah. there's a reasonable take to level out <laughs> you being a meanie to deandre earlier well um, i don't know about reasonable go, but yeah no i'm kidding you go on the <laughs> you shoot on this one first I mean, there's a I there's a s- small chance that he is. Yeah, my only there is. thing, my only thing is, the best guy at every position, at every position, have something else, and that something else is not easy to identify, but they have it. <laughs> and I'm not talking. <laughs> it's a very esoteric talking, quantity you're talking yeah, about there. But. I'm not talking about something they do on the court. I'm talking about a mentality. I'm talking there's something there. There's oh, now it, now this there. just did become first take cuz you're talking about that Kobe mentality now. They need to have the clutch gene. Is it not look, is it not true? Like there it, it forces them to like it forces think, Kobe to work harder than he possibly any other player would. It forced I, I Michael people, Jordan to work hard. It I forced think LeBron James. It, but yeah, I don't know if I'd put LeBron in the same tier. I'm as talking the, other two, maybe, the best, but. the best at every position, like the definitive best. They have it. They all have it. I genuinely believe that, and I don't there know that been, he does. There have been guys in the history of this league who have at one time been the best player at their position without having that mentality. Well, if you're talking about the Allen era Iverson. where like people all were smoking cigarettes during their breaks, then yeah, maybe. No, but. like <laughs> Allen Iverson, 20 years ago, was the best point guard well, in the NBA for a couple of years, and he was a bum. Just in terms well, of the work that's, ethic, that's an interesting era where you can talk about whether or not he actually was the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that that's I think the definitive best is is something that I think. Sure, um, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there isn't. But even even whatever whatever he has, Allen Iverson, do you think Aiton has that? <laughs> Well, he doesn't have that swagger on the court. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like for that's me, that's sort of the like, belief in itself. The you know the the thing that they have. Every best center in the NBA right now, all of the top centers do have something tangible. I'm thinking on the court. 
that Aiden is just so far from developing. Like, Embiid's got this aggression where he just goes at you and gets 12 free throws a game. DeAndre's got so far before he can even get close to there. Jokic has right. got this this passing that I don't know if... He's a savant. <laughs> like, some things you can develop, yeah, but some no. things you can't. And, and vision, yeah. vision, Absolutely. like, I don't think Jokic's vision is something that DeAndre Ayton could ever... Uh, could ever develop, no matter how good his coach is. So he has to make it up in other ways. But exactly, like, it's, I don't know. It's it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I'm not telling you it's impossible, but I don't, I wouldn't bet on it. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's possible he could be, like, a top three center of, like, at any point of his career in the NBA. Well, so I think that's possible. He, he, I, and I do think it's make... possible he could be the best center in an individual season but i don't think people are going to look at this generation of players and, and definitively well i don't know maybe well, it's kind of like amari stoudemire in a way actually <laughs> again they're not similar yeah. players but i think people look at amari stoudemire and they they look at one or two years where he made an all nba team i'm not talking about Suns fans right now i'm talking about the national perspective right and the national perspective on amari stoudemire is he had one or two years where he was really really good like 26 points per game nine rebounds he made the all nba second team stuff like that but in the grand scheme of things, and of course part of this is because of injury, but part of it is also just because of, of him never really ascending to quite the next level. Um, w- when you ask people today about that generation of big men in the 2000s, they're going to talk about three guys at the top. And they're going to talk about Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Dirk Nowitzki. And while it is true that Amari went toe-to-toe with each of those guys in various playoff series throughout yeah. the 2000s to where it looked right. like he was right on par with Tim Duncan in, you know, in, say, 2005 when he was averaging 30-10 and 10 over the course of a playoff series. He never did it consistently enough in the regular season, night in and night out, and had the sustained playoff success. Um, so he kind of falls outside. He's on the tier outside of those guys when people examine his legacy today. And so maybe the same thing happens to Aiden. I don't know. Yeah. I certainly think he can make all NBA teams. Um the second or third team, I don't know that I've seen it in him yet that he can be the best center in the NBA and make like an all NBA first team. Yeah. Um, Hope so. I almost talked myself into it halfway through that one. Uh, here's one from Austin Sear, who's been on the podcast. Bridges has the highest ceiling of any player on our roster. Now that. That's a, a hot, hot take. take. <laughs> That's a hot take. Now the, the positive ones are easier than the negative ones. Cause you know, I could easily come out and be like, Cam Johnson will be the greatest shooter of all time. And it's like, you can't prove <laughs> me wrong, but it's like, yeah. okay, what I, you know, time um, will prove you wrong. This, <laughs> this one is interesting. Uh, this one's interesting. I really hope so. Uh, have, there if you had ever to argue been... against it, you just say Devin Booker, right? That's the argument against it. If you had to argue for it, first of all, I wouldn't be doing it in good faith. But <laughs> has there it ever, would be well, fun. I haven't done uh, my research. Has there ever been a player in the history of the league that came into the NBA at like age 23 and became an MVP? Because isn't that ah. what Bridges did? Like became an MVP. Oh, Tim Duncan? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Win, Tim Duncan didn't was ever win MVP, did he? No, he did. He did one year and Tim Duncan okay. was, a, was a college senior. That's a good example. He's the Shit. Tim Duncan of wings. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we Tim agree, Duncan Austin. Came in, we agree. Kim, Tim Duncan came into the league as a championship level player uh, his first year in the league. But here's <laughs> the fun part about making the case for Bridges. He's a genius, a basketball genius. Um, and he has an insane body. Like he has just like, he's got this in, in, insane measurements. So the idea of him having the highest ceiling is fun to picture. Like say you were to make a my player on NBA 2K with the measurements of Mikhail Bridges and make him like Kawhi Leonard level ceiling. That would be an insane oh, yeah. player to watch. 
Um, So that's a fun one. Uh, Did you have any others that we, uh, these are all we grabbed on our little document. Do you have any others you want to point out? Yeah. Unfortunately, I know this went really long. I didn't expect this to take this long. This went really long. There's just too many for us to answer. Like way, way, way too many, but it's fun. Let's, let's see if we can find a couple others that are quick. Um, (laughs) Sons, Brandon, Sons Geek on YouTube says, uh, if the Sons would have kept Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris, one or both of them would have panned out. Yeah. What say you? Arguably, you could say, um, Chris is panning out right now. So I guess the uh-huh. question is, I mean, would you say that? I would say that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I in think the Chris sense is that becoming he's like, a valuable, like a useful rotation player, player in the NBA. Like right. he's not going to live up to his draft like level where he's would, drafted, but that's not the point, I think. Could he have become that in Phoenix? I think that is impossible to answer for sure, but I think that you can <laughs> argue that the environment that was created under Monty Williams is the type of environment where he could potentially succeed. It's just the damage that was done before that, that, that type of stuff lasts. So I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely, I, I mean, I think that it's, it's easy to say that if it were one of those two players, it would be Marquis Chris though. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. be Dragon Bender. Totally. Although, you know, I was thinking about the fact that Dragon Bender right now, like we were the other day, um, you were doing tweets about Poku, mm-hmm. <laughs> which it's, it's funny how, how that's happened, but, mm-hmm. um, but the premise of Poku, he's 18 years old right now. And if you draft him mm-hmm. again, this is a reference to our episode last week. So if you didn't hear it, then maybe it won't make much sense. But the premise of drafting a big, like Poku is it was a seven foot tall big man, um, is that he won't be good until year four or five at the very least. And Bender, mm-hmm. like, he's 22 years old. You know, he hasn't even been given the chance yeah. to reach that point yet. That's which is kind of crazy to me. Like, maybe Bender does become something in a couple years from now, and he's an above-replacement-level player. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the a lot of the point of Schmidt's data that he showed us was that even guys like John Morant are below replacement level, according to Vorp, but you can see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can just <laughs> see it. And you just can't see it with Dragon Bender still. So I think that part is still missing there. I think if any either of those guys uh, were to do it, it would be Marquise Chris. But I still think the the odds are against him. I want to address this one more too. Just the, well, this will be the last one we do. But okay. Mike Notham um, mm-hmm. says, and and the reason I picked it out is because I think it's kind of the antithesis to what you were saying before. He says the upside of this core is Dame era Blazers. So if they got a chance to move Ubre in the tenth pick to Golden State to move up and take Lamelo, they got to roll the dice. Uh, Jones yeah. needs to get more aggressive about raising the ceiling of this team rather right. than worrying about Booker leaving. I think why that's interesting to me is because it it is like I said, sort of the opposite of what you were saying. In that it seems like if you want the Suns to make the big move now for a star, that's right. doing the opposite of raising the ceiling. You're trying to go yeah. all in because you believe in Devin Booker's ability to win a title right now, yeah. whether that's yeah. right or wrong. Mike right. is out here. He's saying we need another star next to Booker. Booker's not going to get it done. So let's, uh, you know, forget about pissing him off. Let's roll the dice on a high, a high prospect, uh, a high potential prospect. What I think is interesting here is the premise that the upside of this core is the Dame era Blazers. I don't really. What do you think about that? I think it's interesting, and I think that the Dame era Blazers were a Western Conference Finals team. And I tend to agree that, it, you know, say you kept this main core together, that's probably pretty accurate. I think you still need, I think, I think you still need another, like, su- you need another superstar. I'm going to use that in quotes to win a title. You gen- you generally well, need two of those sure. guys. But if, if we if we agree on the premise that DeAndre Ayton, we know he is a mystery box right now and we don't know what he's going to be. But if we agree on the premise that he could be an all-NBA player, then that is uh, the, the Suns' top two in that scenario would definitely be better than Dame and CJ. 
right? Yeah. Like CJ, CJ was never an all NBA player. CJ was barely an all star, honestly, the past couple years. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like barely yeah. there. Yeah. So I, yeah. I do like, I think their potential is higher. Yeah. I, but, I, yeah. Maybe, maybe they don't right. win a title. Right. I don't know. But I don't know. Dame is really good. But Dame <laughs> like, is really that, good. I think that's the main thing. But yeah, honestly, maybe, when maybe you, you're when right you about that, me, actually. When you ask me, me into it. When you asked me which other players had scored 28 points per game on 63% true shooting earlier, I almost mm-hmm. answered Dame this year. Like, that's how good he was. He was close, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah. I He was insanely good. I think that's a really interesting perspective by Mike, who gen- genuinely has good perspective on things and and is a little different a little out of the box with a lot of his thoughts so uh, on brand there i think what he's describing is the type of thing a general manager would do say they were not afraid of being fired <laughs> like if they if they knew they were gonna have the job for 10 years yeah this is the type of thing that a general manager yeah like if uh i mean how many gms even exist around the league where it would be like if you could sign them to like a eight year deal or 10 years or something you would you know right. like like Very this few. is the type of thing maybe sam presti has um the green light to do in okc you know right because he's done yeah. it once before and it works so you can't really imagine firing him right you right. still always right. need to get ownership on board but james jones probably isn't that guy yeah i i think that one of the tough parts in this scenario is one of the reasons why the pick is available, and that that is that Lamelo is not necessarily a sure thing here. Like, imagine you do that, and then he doesn't work out at quite the level. Maybe he becomes like Lonzo, where he's like a, he's okay, uh, but he's not quite worthy of what you move to get him, especially being you know pissing off your star player over the course of uh, his prime, <laughs> his potential prime. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting perspective. I don't know that I necessarily agree or disagree. I think there's a scenario where I think he's right. <laughs> and and I guess it's in a sense, it's kind of what I was saying, except that I'm more looking at it as instead of moving Ubre in the 10th pick, it's You're maximizing DeAndre. Yeah. yeah. It's maximizing DeAndre. Ages, You're going where no value. man has gone before. And I will yeah. give you credit for that um, as the pitchforks come headed your way. I appreciate that. Uh, any thoughts other thoughts before we uh, end this one? <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think we're we're all set. Here We've gone long enough. Part. Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid we won't be able to get to everyone's. Uh, it's just we're just too popular. <laughs> Thank you for everyone who contributed to this episode. <laughs> Please don't hate me. Understand that it's only part of me that believes what I believe. But I don't know. It's just it's something that keeps itching at the back of my mind here. Uh, but we'll be back next week. Who knows what kind of rumors will be about the Suns at that point. Probably some really negative stuff about Robert Sarver. Oh, and for people who have listened to this point of the podcast, I've been thinking about adding a segment that is like about all the anti-Sarver news. And I want a name for that segment where we could just easily cover negative Sarver stories. Uh, th- if you think of a name, tweet it at us. But you thanks really, everyone for listening. You really don't ever want us to get media credentialed. Ever. Like, I've already you divorced you myself don't even, from that idea. Neither of us are journalists, but you don't even want the possibility of it like 10 years from now happening. It, you just listen, really don't Here's the real it. truth. Here's the real truth. It's not going to happen for me. I still think you have a chance. I still think you have a chance. Although you do have yourself burning an Eric Bledsoe jersey in your Twitter <laughs> profile. So don't come at me. It's very true. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. 
Get in on all the action, including new NBA bracket contests with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.